Welcome to the Anorexia Bulimia meeting. My name is Barbara and I'm a compulsive overeater and your leader for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 15 minutes followed by 10 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 10 minutes of open pitches. This workshop is being taped, so you need to sign the audio, audio recording authorization if you're going to share. The topic for this session is anorexia, bulimia, and our first speaker is? Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Thank you. Hi, I'm Gabrielle, compulsive overeater, bulimic, anorexic. <laughs> and, you know, when I was very tiny and started on solid foods, I became bulimic. So I was a bulimic baby. And I'm not sure if that actually counts as bulimia. <laughs> I'm, I don't know what it was, if it was a food allergy or whatever. But what it did do, uh, in not knowing how to name it, what it did do is it messed up my whole body system. And what happened is my parents tried to feed me all kinds of foods so that because they were afraid that by throwing up so much that I didn't have any nutrition. So the game began. Let's feed the child. And of course I had resistance to that. And and I think I started resisting it when I was two years old. And I think that's when children say no <laughs> for the first time. And it started a whole anorexic period of my life where I didn't eat and I was very energetic between two and eight years old. What I do remember around that time is that it was very stressful being in my family and when I did not eat I got high. I actually felt good. I felt protected. I felt I didn't have emotions and when I ate I felt feelings and they were tra traumatic feelings. And I was the one that was carrying the tension in my family. My parents were part of the Second World War in Europe and they moved to Australia and their whole philosophy was that all that horrible stuff was left behind and we're going to start a new life. And what we know today is what the parents don't work out, the children will act out. So I was the carrier of the tension. And so my poor body wasn't able to handle it. It's like, no, I don't want this. And I discovered that if I don't eat, I don't feel. And if I don't eat, I get high. And I actually could feel, you know, the endorphins going through me. So what happened to me uh, when I was eight years old, I went to Europe where my parents uh, grew up and I started to eat normally and I was in an environment where my feelings were contained. I had a lot of support. 
And so when, um, and I did that for two years, and it was quite a remarkable experience, you know, to have a grandmother that loved me no matter what, no matter how badly behaved I was. <laughs> that was really quite a new concept for me. So I started eating what could be deemed as normal eating and having normal childhood reactions to things. And so when I came back to Australia after two years of that, I was 10 years old. And what happened was that all the support that contained me in Europe was taken away. And I remember the sky getting dark and I started eating compulsively. Sugar, chocolate, all of those foods became my friend. And then it started the whole compulsive overeating career until I got to Overeat as Anonymous. And what happened when I got to Overeat as Anonymous, I became anorexic. <laughs> it's like, what happened? And... And it's because I didn't understand what a food plan was. I didn't understand that the opposite to compulsive overeating is not not eating. It's eating, you know, it's eating with a plan. So in the early days of my Overeaters Anonymous time, I did some crazy things like my bulimia came back. Uh, and my anorexia came back, but I didn't understand it because I wasn't doing it deliberately. It's not as if I said, okay, I want to stop being a compulsive overeater, so I'm going to stop eating and throwing up. You know, this is a choice. Uh, I got into Overeaters Anonymous about 25 years ago and in Australia where we didn't know very much. And... And so nobody actually talked about bulimia. We only talked about compulsive overeating. So by not eating compulsively, I was a good member of OA, supposedly. And nobody talked about bulimia. Nobody talked about laxative abuse, which is what I got into. Because when you don't eat, you don't do anything else. <laughs> and so I got into the laxative abuse, which is part of the bulimic syndrome. And nobody talked about that, so I thought I was, you know, doing great. Then I came to America. And what happened in America is that I was at an OA function, and I overheard somebody just talking away, saying that God meant our body to function naturally. And it just sort of hit me in my heart that laxative abuse is laxative abuse, that my body is meant to function naturally. So I got rid of my laxatives, and uh, the, miracle, the miracles that happen in this program, even if you're not really working the program, are amazing. It's very rare, but within three days, my body was functioning normally. So I stuck to the program. I thought, oh, my God, a physical miracle happened. And so I just kept on going to meetings. And what I discovered in America is that bulimia, laxative abuse, all these things are part of the disease. You know, this was new news to me. And so I educated myself. And 
anorexics and bulimics in the mid-80s were not popular in OA, <laughs> but I educated myself anyway. And so I started my healing by realizing that 180 degrees from sick is still sick. From compulsive overeating to not eating, you know, to holding in too much food and throwing it up, you know, it's all part of the illness and it jumps around in me, you know. I have to be really careful. Like when I am newly dating someone, I go anorexic. When um, I get into a deep commitment with someone, I want to eat compulsively. And so I really have to watch my illness and keep an eye on it. And the best way to do that is to come to meetings and work this program and really be honest and talk things out. Because sometimes when I hear people say, oh, and I don't even want to eat my three meals a day, I just um, calmly mention, well, that's probably an anorexic thing happening. Um, and when people say, you know, I feel so sick when I'm eating, I just want to get rid of it. Well, that's a bulimic feeling, you know? And I just keep an eye on, you know, what this is in me. Because my addiction wants, wants me to keep acting this out. I have to admit that when I was bulimic, I got high. I have to admit, when I didn't eat, I got high. When I abused laxatives, I got high. I'm an addict. I use my own body as part of my addiction. Who needs drugs? <laughs> I can do all this stuff. And, and so I have to constantly look for the health in this program. Having a food plan and eating my food and watching what my emotions are and dealing with the stress levels in my life so that I can be in the recovery zone and not delude myself that when I don't want to eat, that's not necessarily being in abstinence. Because, you know, I know, I've admitted that I have an anorexic part of me that goes, woohoo, let's not eat. Isn't that fabulous? And then I can feel good and delude everyone in the program that I'm doing well. Because, you know, when you're high, you're happy, you know, eyes are sparkling, maybe too much, <laughs> all of that stuff. And so it's a very difficult program because it has so many prongs. Um, I mean, it's a difficult disease for me. It's not a difficult program if you do it. <laughs> it's a difficult disease for me because it has so many prongs. And I'm actually very grateful that I got to speak here today because, um, you know, different life circumstances bring different aspects of it out. And this program has such a healing power that it keeps an eye on that addiction that keeps wanting to act out. You know, the eye of God, the eye of this program, the eye of my sponsor, the eye of the literature, the eyes that are at the meetings, at this convention, really temper that addiction. And so I am so, so grateful 
that Overeaters Anonymous has evolved over the years and that there are so many varied experiences that can help me stay abstinent. Thank you. I'd like to introduce our second speaker, Bobby. Thanks, everybody. My name is Bobby. I'm a compulsive overeater and recovering bulimic. Hi, Bobby. <clears throat> okay. Um, so, this is, um, I was a natural bulimic. When I used to go to school at age five, and I had a substitute teacher, and she was 60 years old. And to me, that was ancient when you're five years old. And the minute I'd have the graham crackers and milk, it would come up because I was so nervous around her. Um, the teacher that normally was there loved me, but for some reason this woman didn't like me. It could be that I threw up every time I saw her. It, you know, she might have taken it personally. But I didn't try to get sick. That's just my natural, um, my natural fear. So I had to later on decide that I needed to change that. You know, with 15 minutes to talk to you all, and if you're new, why should I spend any time in what it was like? Um, I'm going to tell you that whatever your story is, and I'm not trying to sound cocky here, I think I can cover it times four. I did things that you cannot believe. The disease raped me for 13 years of my life, and that word is very, very um, harsh. So if I'm using it, it means it's, it's really true. I was completely uh, robbed of a lot of my life because of this disease. I practiced from age 13 to age 26. And then I came stumbling into these rooms to die. So that's what it was like. I didn't even write notes on that because there's no point telling you the horror stories or why it happened. But I will tell you, I will tell you that at age five is when everything kind of changed because at age six, I had this beautiful curly hair, right? First day of school, my mom took me the two nights before, had my hair shaved, number one cut, and then gave me a hand-me-down from my brother that was bright orange that was a quarter of a size too small. And that's when the body image started at age six. I remember to this day, what do I look like from here? What do I look like from there? What do I look like from there? That's exactly what happened. I remember exactly how it happened. Didn't start getting rid of that x-ray until age 13. Did that from age 13 till 26. Okay, so now you have the history. And some of the stuff I did when I was practicing, when I say multiply whatever you did, I did stuff that you would be disgusted to hear. So I've come a long way back with the help of this program. The one thing this program has taught me is quite a bit um, of humility. Um, because I absolutely know that I did nothing to deserve what I got. I'm just really blessed that I actually got it. That's what I want to say. Um, it was a horrendous, horrendous... To be a prisoner on a daily basis 
when people are around you and to be a prisoner every day in your own mind, where will you get the food, how will you get rid of it? Is the water level too high? Is it too low? So that's what's going on. What happened was I came to these rooms in November of 85 to die. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to die. That's pretty much it. But um, after being here for two months, I got a little bit of optimism. Um, but I wanted to be around people that understood me. The one thing I have done perfect since November of 85 is Tradition 3, which is a desire to stop eating compulsively. That is what I have done um, perfectly. Ever since I've come to these rooms, not once, even when I made mistakes, did I enjoy it. Did I not want to be abstinent? Did I not want it while I was binging? It's never been a pleasure to binge since. It just it's taken away. So that's pretty good. All right, so that was the first thing that happened. Um, I will tell you that I absolutely... I'm going to give you some numbers so you understand how it worked for me, but I will tell you that I absolutely know that if you're doing it right now and you can't help yourself, it is not your fault. Because even after I did it, now I'm going to tell you right now so you guys can have a little hope. It's been 15 years for me. 15 years since anything has come up in my body. I can't even believe it. When I was at 7 and 8, I used to sit there and count going, no, it's not right. That can't be right. Yeah, it's not. Is it right? Yeah, 7 and 8 years. So, I've been abstinent now for 15 years, and the way it happened is I came in in 86 now, 86 the next year, and I did it 18 times. I did it 18 times. Abstinence was as good as I could get it, and then I did it 18 times that year. And in the following year, I did it about 12 times. The third year, I did it four times, and the fourth year, I did it once. Now, when I say I did it four times, let me tell you something. In that year, the third year of program, which was 1989, I was in Boise, Idaho, doing comedy. I was the headliner at a place. You didn't need to know that. It happened to be across from emergency ward. I was bulimic, and something popped back here. Something popped. And I ended up laying on the ground for almost three hours. And they were knocking on the bathroom door, and they thought I was being an ass because I wasn't opening the door. And then I walked across the street to the emergency hospital, and the, uh, the ho they thought I was doing cocaine, they thought I was doing drugs, they thought, you know, whatever. So, um, I'm here to tell you, even after that episode, I did it four more times. That's how I know it's not our fault. I, it ki almost killed me, and yet it was so powerful, it's so seductive, you know, like an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend. And it calls you back, even after almost losing my life, four more times. So, um, in August, in October of 89, uh, I made the decision that it won't happen ever again. Then the earthquake hit. I had ten months in a row. And on August 10th of 90, I, um, I literally just, um, it happened. And I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to kill myself. That was it. I made it ten months. I'll never get absence again. And then all of a sudden... I just sat there, I just sat there, and something came to me that said this, okay, look, if you could get to October 1990 and be able to tell people that you just did it one time this year, it'll be good enough. And so that day I drank, I smoked pot, I ate sugar, anything was okay, 
except bulimia. And I got past the suicidal thought, and I made it to one year. And now, every year, I celebrate that on August, um, uh, on August 10th, I just celebrated 15 years, but on August, October of 2005, I had made a decision. It is 16 years now with one mistake, with one episode. To tell you that, it's like a dream. If you gave me right now an opportunity for a couple of million dollars, and I could go back to being absent if I just lost it one day, I wouldn't give it up. And I'd give up a lot, but I wouldn't give it up because there's no guarantee I'll ever get that again. Ever. Um, in fact, I have a pretty perverse confidence. It's pretty, you know, it's really cool to know that you're absolutely powerless over this disease and your life will never be normal. It, there's a confidence in that because I'm 140% sure of this. None of you can take this away from me. That I will never be normal no matter how many normal days I get in a row. I'm still not normal as it relates to food and eating disorders. It is a cool thing to be that sure of one thing. And when you start walking through life that sure of one thing, you start having confidence. And it really tended to work for me, you know. Um, every day for me that I'm not in the throes of bulimia, when I'm not in the throes of this disease, is, is phenomenal. I will tell you that I have been abstinent uh, as of August 5th, or August 10th, 2005, five years. Now, when I say five years, I'm talking about, like, the normies. Yeah, we're the abnormies within OA. Because <laughs> the normies are just the one that compulsively overeat. I got five years going on with that. You know, if you're offended by the word norm or not norm, get over it, okay? You, you do worse things than to yourself, and that word would offend you. But I got five years, and you know what? I didn't even want it. I was happy to be bulimic-free. That's all I wanted for this room. But one day, after being here for 15 years, I'm in the shower, and the shower's hitting me, and I'm, you know, I'm in this program for 15 years, and all of a sudden, the back of my head is feeling the water, and I start to cry, and I remember those words just like... I swear it happened like this. Remember the Ten Commandments where they burn the Ten Commandments into the tablets? In the back of my head, I heard, stood at a turning point. And those words that I'd heard just started burning into the back of my brain. I was below, I was below step number one. God bless you. Below step one. And I said, oh my God, what's this feeling? I didn't even know what the feeling was. It was like getting an upgrade in your computer and not even asking for it. I called my sponsor. I said, I have a feeling that I never want to lose what will be my defined abstinence. I defined my abstinence by four meals, nothing in between. I eat four times a day. And all of a sudden, I'm coming up August. I have five years, ten months now. What the heck happened? So if you are in your second week of program and you're not bulimic and you're not sugar-free, you know, you would, uh, it would upset me if you got it that quick. I'd be glad for you. But it took me 15 years to get here. Okay? And I didn't even want it. It just naturally happens. It just naturally happens by being in these rooms. You guys, I was as hopeless as hopeless can be. You know what's wrong with my life right now? I've got so many great things going on in my life. I'm getting back to where I'm complaining that I'm not always normal and all, the, all these great things happening in my life. So every once in a while, I stop and I slap myself, you know, softly in the head and go, now go back to being grateful. Remember when you had nothing? Remember when you were living in your parents' house 
and you spent all day long sleeping, and you went out to 7-Eleven, bought bags and bags of food, got rid of it, and then went to sleep for another eight hours, and then did it again for three years. Be grateful that occasionally you're still OCD. Be grateful that you have ADD. Be grateful your life's pretty good, and you didn't even expect this. I gotta tell you, back-to-back -back abstinence, along with bulimic abstinence, has been fantastic. Um, it was definitely a gift. And I truly believe, you know, if you ask me how I did it, you know what I'm gonna tell you? I don't know. I just kept coming to these rooms. Now, I do do a lot of things, but there's no time to tell you all this. I have three minutes. Just keep coming to these rooms. Because if you come here, you might have a chance. There's no guarantees. But if you go to the donut shop, you're not going to have a chance. You're not going to find it there. That's the truth. There's a guy named Bob that used to say that. You're not going to find it in places that it doesn't belong. You've got to hope that it comes to you. I, I know that absence for me is what happened to me in that shower is something was dropped into me. And I just said, wow, if it's this good, I'm going to keep it. And I've kept that light burning for five years. But I also have to acknowledge that, you know, 15 years bulimic-free, where I used to do it eight times a day, it's, it was just, it, it's been phenomenal. And I still can't believe that I was And let me say something to you. There are times that I used to I tell my sponsor, hey, look, I'm still doing a lot of things wrong. I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And I was feeling bad that I was having it so easy. And then I realized I'm judging God. I'm judging my higher power. So he wants to give it to me, and I'm telling him, well, you know, I don't really deserve it. So um, the answers are in these rooms. That, you know, if, you, if you're not really sure, just trust us. The ones that have come before you will tell you that there's pretty much no other place for it to be. There really isn't for people like us. Once you have it, you won't understand how you never had it, but you have to hang around because it's, it's like, for me, this is what I finally get. This is not being abstinent, and this is being abstinent. You know? You can't figure how you didn't do it when you have it, but you just can't seem to manage to pull it together when you don't. If you don't have it, it's okay. It's better than what you did the day before. You know, and if you did good the day before, good for you. You still have to do good today. And if you did bad yesterday, well, good for you. You still have to do good today. Because 15 years is great, but all I have is between now and midnight, and then from midnight to midnight the next day, and that's all I have. Um, I have a little bit more confidence maybe than someone that's newer, but that's because I've been proven that it can work. It really can work. These rooms have given me everything in terms of a way of living and a way of understanding um, a lot of things. And believe me, you get to meet a lot of different types of people in these rooms, and we're all crazy. <laughs> we are. Go to a business meeting sometime, and you'll see how crazy we are. But it shouldn't work that all these crazy people, without a doctor leading us, it works, but somehow it does. Somehow it really does. It really, really works. So that's what I want to say. Wow, thank you for this time. Definitely put me in a, in a sober mood, but that's kind of nice for me every once in a while. Thank you very much.
And now for 20 minutes, our speakers will answer questions from the Ask It basket. I'm Gabrielle, compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic. Um, the question is, how do you cope when your life is uneventful? That is, no crisis or excitement. <laughs> well, I'm a great creator of both those things. Um, and what I've uh, had to learn to do, quite honestly, is instead of allowing my illness to create havoc, because um, that's what I'm used to, I've used my creativity to create a positive life that does have excitement in it. And the crises that I have are the crises of growing in this program. It's like having breakthroughs instead of breakdowns. And the excitement to me is I had to do a fourth step and really sort of write out what do I want my life to look like and what can I do through this program to help create it. And one of the things that I know I have to do because I like to get high is I have to build in things that I get excited about that are healthy. You know, things like calling friends that I really like instead of allowing my illness to um, neglect them and then wonder why I don't have friends. And so I have to be proactive in my life and I actually keep a log of, you know, have I done certain things to create excitement? You know, I love to go dancing and so I make sure I go dancing instead of allowing the disease at the last minute to say, nah, I don't feel like it. And then regret it the next day by having a slight depression. Does that make sense? So, uh, the other thing is, I have found that um, in my job, I have enough crises to keep me going so I don't have to create any new ones. You know, with the economy as it is and personnel issues as they are, <laughs> I don't need to create any. And I, again, use the program to utilize the natural forming crises in my life as opportunities to push forward in my growth. I will not let another human being um, hurt me or demean me or upset me without there being that incredible growth spurt that comes out of working a spiritual program. I keep asking, what is the lesson in here for me? What can I do or what can I become out of this? And I'm determined. And that's part of the excitement that I um, get out of the crisis in my life. And, uh, and it's a very good question because uh, in the beginning of the program, it is a crisis just being, a co you know, um, in this illness and, yay, this program's going to help me. And then, then what? And then the disease plays out. So, thanks. When you're in a relationship now, how do you take personal time for writing, prayer, and meditation? 
Well, if you're new and you're not in a relationship, stay out. Okay? Even with a lot of experience, it's not easy to be in a relationship. Even if you don't have an eating disorder, it's not easy to be in a relationship. Um, if you're not, let me ask you a question. The person that asked this, if you weren't, when you weren't in a relationship, were you praying, meditating, and writing? So that's number two. But if you are in one, and this is, I see this a lot. People come in here with a relationship and just looking for an excuse to get rid of it. Well, for my recovery, I'm going to have to dump this person. Okay, that, you're already in a relationship. The one thing I will tell you is, it comes down to this. My relationship is second to my recovery. My relationship is second to my nieces. My relationship uh, with abstinence is that, you know, there's a pecking order after, but if I'm not abstinent, and I'm not relaxed, I will be no good to the person I'm in a relationship with. And if they say, I need this and I need this, and I need to do something for my abstinence, abstinence is the most important thing. And more so than abstinence, a way of living like this where nothing breaks my serenity. Because when I'm serene, I'm abstinent and whatnot. And the way you just do it is just do it. And it, it works itself out. And usually... When you take time to do it, you have time for them and you have time for yourself. So, thank you. I'd, li I'd like to speak to the person later who asked this question. How do you relate your eating disorders with codependency issues? <laughs> this is a whole wonderful topic. I find that uh, my body is a carrier of emotions just like electricity. I can feel my reactions go through my body. And that usually triggers my addiction to eat. You know, um, I used to talk about this as a teenager, and of course nobody understood what I was talking about. They thought I was crazy. But um, say, for example, if somebody was angry at me, was passive-aggressive, you know, that kind of person. They're angry at you, but they're smiling at you. Yeah, I think the best description I've heard of passive-aggressive is when the, the dog is all happy to see you while peeing on your pants, you know, at the same time. And, and so what happens to me with passive-aggressive people, I see that they're all nice and friendly, but I can feel the stress in my body from them. And there is no possible way of communicating what's really going on. So I'm the crazy one. I'm the one that contains the tension. Or if there's violence around, or if somebody is nervous, or whatever. Um, I carry my codependency in my body. Um, and so... I connect my codependency very much with my um, compulsive eating. I connect my codependency very much with my anorexia because then I don't feel. And I connect it very much with my bulimia because my bulimia helps get rid of that tension. It sort of throws it up, so to speak. And I find that you know, when there's a lot of tension around people who don't know how to express themselves, uh, you know, it, it sort of hits me in the stomach and it explodes out either end, actually.
to be graphic. <laughs> I'm an either or both ended woman. <laughs> so what I have learned in this program is that I need I have had to develop a thicker skin. And that you know, I have learned not to take things so personally. And even when people are directing their stuff at me, I, it's still not personal. It's still about them. Now, I still get um, bombarded with uh, what goes on around me. It's not as if I'm like this fabulous person now. Uh, but I do have tools on how to deal with it. And often I find when um, I have the urge to throw up, to not eat, or to overeat, I have to ask myself, where have I been today where toxic people may have been? Who have I been with today who was not feeling well in themselves that I may have picked something up? Uh, and I ask these questions, and sometimes it's memories of the past that create those reactions, and the toxic memories um, of my past. And so... I am working very hard with my higher power. I ask for protection. I ask for relief. You know, the, the crazy thing for me is that I absorb and then I hang on to it. It's sort of like being constipated. And actually, constipation was a big problem I had. You know, I take it in and I hang on to it. And, and so learning uh, to be healthy, to allow stuff to come in and release it. <laughs> you know, my body, a healthy body, is an expression of how I need to be healthy emotionally. You know, it's okay to know that somebody is all upset and would love to make me responsible for their upset, but it doesn't mean I have to take it on, absorb it, and hang on to it, and then go crazy in my food addiction, bulimia, anorexia. And so, um, obviously, I've had to go to another 12-step program to deal with my codependency issues, and I do do that. That's the wonderful thing about being in one 12-step program. It often leads to many others. <laughs> and, and that's been the growth of the 12-step movement. And, and I find that... Um, that dealing with my, my, uh, my anorexia and my bulimia has helped bring what my codependency issues are to the forefront because I'm not masking them anymore. And so it's been a very interesting journey. And I keep, you know, the best, the best two steps I found for uh, codependency and people issues is the sixth and the seventh step. You know, I can only learn so much about relationships and human dynamics, and I can be brilliant at it and still get slammed. And so the only thing that really, really helps is asking God to remove what's going on with me and hope that God is listening and doing her best to help me out. So, <laughs> okay, the question.
question is, what helped you the most in your recovery? Um, the answer is different through the last 20 years. Um, whatever I needed to do to get to the next day is what I did. Um, I would say of all the things that helped the meetings, meetings just tend to work. Even if you do absolutely nothing, which is pretty much what I did the first year, I just showed up to meetings seven, eight times a week. And you can't help but um, take it in. You just can't help but take it in. So if you're not doing anything else and you're going to meetings, that's eight hours that week, at least if you're doing eight meetings, that you're not be doing other behaviors. Um, another thing that um, helped me quite a bit was, um, and more so now than that, is that I just, uh, is don't try to do too much. Don't try to do too much at the same time, you know? Just whatever you can do that day that was better than the day before is good enough. And if you can just do that, you know, I find that people that do really, really well perfectly and they do it for a year and they run superstar, you know, type of energy, um, you still have to do this for the long haul. And understanding that this is a marathon. Hey, listen, I'm all for If you can be perfect for all 20 years that you're here, I'm all for you. Okay? But don't expect it. Don't expect it and just accept whatever you get and understand this is a marathon. You're going to be doing this the rest of your life. It's not that big a deal, just one day at a time the rest of your life. So really understanding that. And, you know, when you get gifts that you don't expect, like I didn't bring this up when I shared you know, I never have a bulimic thought. If it wasn't for this meeting today, I, I never have a bulimic thought. That I never imagined would happen. I never imagined. Doesn't mean that I'm fooled in the least that I'm recovered. It's just I'm really grateful that that's just the way it is for me. So what helps me the most is basically um, knowing that recovery is first and foremost in my life. Um, what really helped me the most is blind belief, is blind belief. When they said in step two, came to believe that a power created in ourselves restores to sanity, I didn't believe it, you guys, but I went to meetings for an entire year, that was year number two, and just faked it. And I just faked it. I didn't believe it. But when you pray every single day, even if you don't believe it, and you pray before your meals and you pray after your meals, Something happens to you. You know, you don't have to believe in sit-ups. You don't have to believe in them. But if you do them, your stomach will get hard. Even if you don't believe in them. So, that's what helped me the most. Thanks. What is the most important, what is most important to you today? Uh, the most important thing for me today is my relationship with my higher power and this program. I, um, I was kind of an anomaly in Overeaters Anonymous uh, 25 years ago. I was uh, 100 pounds heavier than I am now, and I was bulimic and, and anorexic as well. And it's like, how did that happen? So what I, and, and I was happy to be big. I didn't want to lose weight. So what happened is I got abstinent. I quit sugar, chocolate, and, you know, all the junk foods. And I lost weight. 
And I was hoping that by quitting being anorexic and bulimic that I could keep the weight on. Because, <laughs> isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, because I had a body image about myself that when I was, you know, that uh, 100 pounds heavier than I am now, that I was a substantial person, that I didn't have to deal with people too much, and I didn't have to learn about relationships too much because people stayed away. And, and I had a certain kind of presence that attracted a certain kind of person that liked big women. And so I was comfortable with that. And, and what happened is I, uh, despite, you know, quitting bulimia and anorexia, I lost 100 pounds. And it kind of freaked me out because it meant a whole rearrangement of who I, I am and also how people relate to me. And so the only comfort that I could find that remains the same and is steady and, and um, fabulous is my relationship with my higher power. And I think one of the best examples of that I can uh, tell you that it's the end of the fiscal year. So a week ago, I saw the long list of things I had to face and felt overwhelmed. And instead of spending 25 hours a day for the whole week dealing with that list, I spent a number of hours meditating and praying and centering myself and asking for guidance to be able to move forward during this week in the most creative way that I could. And that's what happened. And so that really reinforces my relationship with my higher power. You know, it's um, miracles do happen here. And sometimes I don't know what that miracle is ever going to be. I just have to keep working this program and keep relating to my higher power as if it is the best relationship in the world. And it keeps turning out to be that. Does much of anorexia bulimia problems start in early age? For me, yes. If you start at 20, then that's when it started for you. That's pretty much it. Um, I know that a lot of males are getting into it for wrestling. Um, but, you know, um, I was in line at the supermarket, and these two college girls were behind me, and their terminology was, I totally greeted it. But for them, I could tell it wasn't like an illness. It was more like a thing that you do. You know, when you have too much alcohol and too much food, you greek it, and then you can go back and party some more. But they weren't talking about it with shame. So does that mean they're bulimics? You know, um, like I said, for me, it was a natural thing. I got really nervous when I was young, and it affected my stomach. I will tell you, when I have nerves now, I change the semantics of nervousness to excitement. And the semantics, when it's exciting, um, gives me energy. And when I have energy, instead of looking at it as a negative thing, it, it comes out as a positive thing. 
That never changes, though. I'm always going to have a nervous feeling. But what I do with it is what these programs have taught me to do. So for me, it started early. For you, it could start whenever it did. Whenever you're in it right now, though, you're in hell. There's good news, though. If you get yourself out of this, like I did, once you've been to hell and you've come out, there's not much in the world that can scare you. That's all I want to say about that. And uh, now we will have three-minute positive pitches. Um, and the topic is anorexia and bulimia. And please sign the release form when you come up to speak. My name is Susie. I'm a recovering anorexia bulimic compulsive eater. Hi, thanks for sharing. I was looking forward to coming to this since um, I've been in OA 19 years and I've never been to one of these, but um, it's neat to see the anorexic bulimic uh, meeting. When um, I started 19 years ago, I, was, uh, I had been anorexic for a couple years and then bulimic for eight, so it ended up being a total of 10 years. And my bulimia was so bad that I couldn't keep food down anymore. So I was literally purging in the gutters. And I lived in Berkeley, I went to school at UC Berkeley, and I just I couldn't go to classes anymore couldn't get the food down in the more and like I said I would be purging in the gutter so it was really bad I could purge 30 times a day I couldn't stop no matter what I was you know no matter if I had bloody noses I mean really gory details uh, go along with my story but you know I couldn't stop until I came to OA I came on a Thursday night in January of 1987 thinking I'm ready to die you know I'll just do this until I die and I found hope at that meeting and it was in uh, Berkeley Alta Bay's hospital and uh, it took me six months of calling my sponsor every day, telling her everything I binged in Persian, but being honest and not feeling ashamed, but looking for the little bit of good in every day. Even if I thought about not purging, but I did it, I got to count as a good day. So counting the tiny bit of good in every day is what helped motivate me. Seeing other people in the rooms and having compassion for them helped me to have compassion for myself. Seeing that it was a coping tool, that it wasn't that I was such a despicable, shameful person that I felt I was that it was a tool that I could adopt other healthier tools in the program. And on June 8th of 87, I started my first job out of college, and I said, I just don't want to purge in that bathroom, and I didn't. I did whatever it took. I was, a couple times I binged, and I had to just sit against the wall crying because I wanted to purge so badly, but I knew it wouldn't just be once. It's so addictive, so progressive, and so that was the last time I ever purged. I do not ever skip a meal. In 19 years, I haven't skipped a meal because that would be leading me down the path of destruction. I don't purge because, excuse me, I know that it wouldn't be just once. So I have to use all the steps and all the tools and come to my meetings. And like I say, count the bit of good in every, every day. It's not perfect. My eating's not perfect, but I still never skip a meal. I was also an uh, exercise bulimic. I would exercise for hours and hours, and I had to stop doing that. And now I can exercise moderately. And if I ever see it going up, which a couple months ago for the first time in 19 years I did, I was at my meetings and I could commit that, okay, I see I'm exercising a bit much. So I'm going to cut back and get back to normal. So the meetings really helped me to stay on track. So it saved my life, this program, because, I mean, it was so bad, like I said, that I thought that I was just going to, you know, do it until I died. And um, so I'm, I'm just really grateful to be here and be able to say that the, there is always hope and uh, that this program really does work miracles. So thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Karina. I'm anorexic. Hi, Karina. Um, I'm really glad that we had this meeting here. Um, I I go to three meetings of OA a week, and I'm very involved. I have a sponsor and all that, but I do often feel like I'm um, an outsider in the program in some ways because I'm different. Um, and I'm also just grateful for this whole convention because um, I just celebrated two years of abstinence last Saturday. And, and, um, and I've definitely had my slip-ups. I've um, gained and lost weight in this program. I've, you know, it's been very turbulent five years or whatever it's been. Um, I, I actually became anorexic when I was around 20, so it doesn't always start in childhood. Um, but I was, you know, it was like overnight. From when I started restricting my eating, it was just like, I, I can't even remember what it was like not being anorexic. Um, and um, so for me, that's, um, I haven't skipped a meal in two years. I've had um, three meals and one snack, and recently it was, I had to add two snacks in because I lost so much weight. And um, I am also an exercise bulimic, and I've had to um, restrict my exercise a lot. And um, that's been really hard. And um, the past, I mean, it's hard. Every day is hard. I, I rarely have a meal that's, that's just easy to eat. Um, but I, I just, I have like a real life now, you know. And I do have to make a lot of time for program stuff. And I have to make time for things that my peers don't necessarily have to do. Um, but... It's just one of those things, like I heard someone say, like, you just do it. You just have to do it. And, and that's, like, I don't really have any other choice. I, you know, it comes before my relationship. It comes before my job or, or anything else. And um, it's just really weird because when you're a little kid or whatever and you think about yourself as, a, as an adult, this isn't something that you think about, you know. It's like, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to have to be in program. Like, this is just, like, this big, huge part of my life that, I, that just happened. And um, and it isn't my fault. And, you know, I never, you know, in the beginning stages of anorexia, I definitely felt that high and all that kind of stuff. And, and there is some little gratification you get from people stopping you on the street and asking if you're a model or whatever. But um, it stopped being fun really fast, really, really fast. And, and it's not fun anymore at all. Um, so, I don't know, I, I have a long story just like everyone else, but I just wanted to um, come up here and be heard as, as an anorexic. I'm not bulimic, I'm not a compulsive overeater, I'm just anorexic, straight up um, hardcore anorexic. Um, but I also definitely feel a sense of community with everyone else, no matter what their disease is. Um, I often say it's the same disease, different symptoms. Um, we all have this void in ourselves that we've tried to fill with food or dieting or whatever and um, it was never filled by anorexia ever. Um, the only thing that's really helped me is my higher power and all you guys. So thank you. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers, everyone who shared and all that have done service for this session. 
please join me in the unity prayer.